I'd like to ask you to please open up your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 52. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We'll be reading verses 13 through 15. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Thank you, Lord, that we get to read your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken truth that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken truth that stands forever. Lord, our prayer today is that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to you, Lord, that we would receive what you have for us today, that we would obey you, that we would want to follow you, that we would want to please you with all our life. And we thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're talking today about a preview of things to come. We're in Isaiah chapter 52, but first I want to tell you something about when I was a kid. When I was a kid, every once in a while our family would have family home movies night. We would watch home movies that my dad took with our state-of-the-art 8mm movie camera. My dad would get out the Bell and Howell movie projector and we'd pop popcorn and have all sorts of fun there in the living room having tons of fun watching silent movies of me running around the backyard naked or things like that. Recently our family has been pulling out our old VHS videotapes of our kids when they were toddlers, captured, by the way, on videotapes with, with a video camera that weighed more than my kids did when they were born. <laughs> They'd have two people to help carry it around. A suitcase to put it in. But whether it was the old 8mm or VHS, you only had two options if you wanted to go somewhere in the movie. Fast forward or rewind. Uh, that's why I love DVD so much. You can go to jump to any scene that you want to in the movie. Now, this week and next, we're going to be jumping back over 700 years from Matthew to Isaiah, to Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah's suffering in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13, and going all the way through Isaiah chapter 53. So 52.13 to 53.12. And we're going to focus primarily on Isaiah. Now we're also going to do a bit of a fast forward in the gospel accounts to, to the record of the last days of Jesus before the cross. And we're going to, but we're going to be camping out in Isaiah. Because it's where God gives 
so many of the promises that were brought to fulfillment and recorded in the Gospels. Now on Easter, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53. But today, focusing on three verses, Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. By the way, most preaching that you hear uh, on Isaiah 53 completely leaves out these three verses in Isaiah 52. And you need, I, you need it because it's the beginning of the passage. It, what is it? What, is, what are these three verses? These, these verses are a hint of coming salvation. These verses are to Isaiah 53 what Palm Sunday is to Easter. It's a, a preview of things to come. When you go to the movies, before the feature presentation, you're going to usually hear something like this. And now, for a preview of coming attractions. And they give you a bit of the movie without giving you the whole story because they want you to go and watch the movie when it comes out. They want to whet your appetite because they want you to go pay money to go see the movie. So they give you a free sample. It's kind of like at Costco when they go and they give you a, a free sample. It's not so you can have a big lunch. It is so you will buy a big container of what they give you a sample of. Why is God giving us a preview in Isaiah 53 uh, of Isaiah 53 in Isaiah 52? Why is Palm Sunday a preview of Easter? It's because God wants us to buy the book. God wants us to believe the book. He wants us to be ready to fully enter into his story and the reality of what Jesus came to do. See, our culture tries to sell us lots of stuff. Our culture wants us to believe many things. And it's marketing driven. They, they want your money. They want you to buy, buy. God wants to save your soul. God, because of his great love for you, out of his pure and holy and perfect motives and plans, wants you to know the truth that will set you free. It will set you free to serve him. He wants you to want Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. The only name given by which we must be saved. I see Palm Sunday in Isaiah 52. And I'm hoping you do too. What is the significance of Palm Sunday? Is it merely a holiday on the calendar? It does get sort of forgotten. I mean, Easter is the main attraction. But it does have a purpose or else it wouldn't have happened. So what does it mean? Now, I grew up going to church. And I remember that as a kid, Palm Sunday was all about palm branches. And Easter was all about eating hot cross buns. You heard me right. Hot cross buns. Our church would get these big buns, big buns, and they had hot cross icing on the top. They were icing in the form of a cross. They were, they were pretty good. But you had to pick out these nasty fruit things inside that were all embedded inside of them. So you had to get like five to really have a, you know, a little meal there. And I was all about getting the little meal. On Palm Sunday, they give us kids palm branches to wave. Wrong thing to give me. All right. You give me a palm branch to wave when I was a little kid, I'd make it into a gun, I'd make it into a sword, or I'd do something to bug somebody with it. 
I don't care what you gave me. I always find something to get in trouble for. Palm branches were, were one of them. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get what Palm Sunday was all about. Okay, I knew it had to do with Jesus. Everybody knew that. I knew it had to do with the cross. It was kind of obvious. And I knew it had to do with the, the empty tomb. I knew that. But in terms of real significance, in terms of the way I live my life and the way I operate on a daily basis, not so much. I didn't get it. It didn't fully register. I didn't understand. I was in good company, though. John chapter 12 and verse 16 tells us that Jesus' disciples didn't understand Palm Sunday. John chapter 12. When you go through the Gospels, you'll notice that up to 25 to 45% of each Gospel is dedicated to the last week of Jesus being on earth before the cross. That's how significant the cross is. Chapter 12 of John, verse 12. The next day a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Quoting Psalm 118. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Zechariah 9, 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. I was in good company. You don't understand Palm Sunday. Rest assured, you're in good company. They did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, after he had gone to the cross, after he had been buried, after he had risen from the dead, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. What is the significance of Palm Sunday? Let's go to Isaiah 52 to find out. Isaiah 52, we'll begin at verse 13. And the first thing I want you to see about this is that Palm Sunday is rooted in the purpose of God. It's rooted in the purpose of God. Now, this passage of Scripture that we're looking at, Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through 53, verse 12, is the fourth of four servant songs in Isaiah. There are four of them. And they are poems, they are songs about the servant of God, about the Messiah, about Jesus. The first is in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. The second is in Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Both of those first two songs deal with the task that the servant would come to do. His task. Then in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, it deals with the commitment of of the servant to the task that he came to do. And now here in our passage for the next two weeks, it deals with the completion of the task that the servant came to do. And it begins like this. Behold. Now whenever you see the word behold in the Bible, it signifies that something important that needs to be called attention to, that needs to be focused upon, is about to be said or is happening. Behold, my servant. My servant shall act wisely, the scriptures say. My servant shall act wisely. My servant will prosper. When it says that he will act wisely, it means that he will accomplish my purpose. God's purpose is going to be accomplished. Act wisely carries with it the idea of acting successfully. He will do what he came to do. 
And by the way, in case you wonder, Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 is about Jesus Christ. Many places in the New Testament either directly state, uh, quote, that and, and bring it into the context of Jesus or it alludes to it. But I love it in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was going... Philip was in Samaria in the middle of a revival. And God said to Philip, go down to the road that leads from... down to the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza and go down there. And he went. He left a huge revival and went out into the middle of nowhere. And when he got there, there was an Ethiopian eunuch that was in a chariot that was moving. And the Holy Spirit said, go up and join the chariot. He ran up to the chariot, and the man was reading from Isaiah 53. He was led as a lamb, as a sheep, before its shearer to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. And the the eunuch says to, to Philip, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? that's not an alley-oop, I don't know what is. And right there it says in Isaiah, in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 43, that starting from that scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. It's about Jesus. Palm Sunday marks the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem near the end of his life before the cross with people waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is triumphal entry gets its name, excuse me, gets all its significance from the reason why Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He was coming to Jerusalem to be killed, to die. Mark chapter 10 and verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. He's not using any code words here. He's speaking plainly. We are going to up to Jerusalem. And you went up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him. They will whip him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. That's what Jesus said. That is why he's coming into the city. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 33, he says, I must journey today and tomorrow and and the next day. For it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. He's coming to Jerusalem, the city of the great king. He had left Jericho for the final approach to Jerusalem. Six to eight hours of uphill walking. Fifteen miles up a winding road. An ascent of 3,000 feet through dry desert. They'd want to get there before nightfall because that road was known for highway robberies. They make the trek to Jerusalem, the the center of Israel's religious life and messianic hope. And it's on a Sunday. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday starts off Holy Week or Passion Week. Passion coming from the Latin word passio, meaning suffering. Why were the gospel writers so concerned that they would take from 25 to 45% of their writing on the passion of Christ, on the suffering of Christ, because that's what he came to earth to do. John Piper put it this way, Palm Sunday is all about the voluntary death of Jesus. He came to die. He planned to die. He intended to die. And why did he intend to die? Here's what he said in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
He said that he came to give his life as a ransom. That is, we are enslaved to sin and death and hell. And to free us from this slavery, Jesus pays a ransom for us, his life. God's word explains to us why we need a ransom. Why it had to be Jesus, the son of God. His life and his death demonstrating the righteousness of God and setting us free from bondage to the guilt and power of sin through the Holy Spirit. God's word tells us. But it's all about the purpose of God. Palm Sunday happened because God said in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Many other places in the scriptures, but you know it, that before the foundation of the world, God purposed to save a people for himself. What else is significant about Palm Sunday? It's significant that it's based upon the character of God. It's rooted in the purpose of God. It's based on the character of God. Again, look with me at verse 13. It starts, Behold. This brings to conclusion the revealing of the servant begun in chapter 42, verse 1 of Isaiah. That Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the explanation that had been awaited for the predicted salvation and its related blessings that would come look with me earlier on in Isaiah 52 in Isaiah 52 God promises to act on behalf of his people in a way where he is personally present Isaiah 52 6 therefore my people shall know my name Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. God had promised that he would meet the need of his people for salvation in a way where he was personally present with them. It's followed by his personal coming to Zion in chapter 52 and verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For the eye, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. In those days you would wait for a runner to come from a distant place with good news. That's why it says, How blessed on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 7. If it sounds familiar, yes, you've read it in the New Testament. You've read it in in Romans chapter 10. The servant of God fulfills the promises of God. Isaiah 52 and verse 10 says, "The, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God's bringing it to pass on Palm Sunday. And it's based upon his character. There, there is, in verse 13, there is a, a threefold exaltation of the servant as God. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and exalted. Only the righteous one can make the many righteous. Isaiah 53, 11, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. God's wrath against sin will be appeased at the cross. He will be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, that's Jesus, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he will bear their iniquities. He will carry their sins. Only the righteous one can make the many righteous. And he will be high and lifted up. The righteous one is God. The righteous one is high and lifted up. By the way, this this phrase, high and lifted up, it's used in combo four times in Isaiah and nowhere else in the Old Testament. And each time it's used, high and lifted up, it's always about God. Always about God. That he, the faithful one, will be exalted. It, it, 
Does it not remind you of Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. There you have it. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By the way, if you won't confess while you're here living on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father... You will someday. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every time, by the way, that Jesus was in, encountered demons in the gospel accounts, they professed who he was. What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They hated it, but they had to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. High and lifted up. He's God. He is greater than all the earth's great ones with whom he is brought into contact. Isaiah fifty-two fifteen: Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. The strong. Excuse me, verse 12. The strong. He will divide the spoil with the strong. The, the great of the world with which he would come in contact, he is greater than them. What is going to happen, God is saying, is based on who I am. And think of this. Jesus was the only one who could truly humble himself the way he did. Only God who made humble. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, God was keeping his word. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. He said that Israel's king would come humbly riding on a donkey. Zechariah, by the way, said this 200 years after Isaiah did. Around 500 B.C. Isaiah wrote around 700 B.C. There was this implied promise when Jesus rode into town that day that he would accomplish what was spoken of him. An implied promise. The assurance of the fulfillment of that promise lies in the character of God. My servant will be high and lifted up. So we believe and then we receive it because of who we know God to be based on his word. And based on our own lives, who we have known him to be who we know him to be right this very moment, how over and over and over again in our lives, he has come through. He has shown himself to be faithful again and again and again in the lives of his children. So we count on him. We trust in him. I emailed one of my favorite authors a couple weeks ago. They wrote back. Blew me away. I was surprised. But I shouldn't have been. This person writes with humility and sincerity that reflects character humble enough to write back to an unknown pastor in California. Probably why I was bold enough to write in the first place. Recently, I tried as best I could to lovingly correct a friend. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that it was received well because they know that I wouldn't do it just to hurt them. 
I was told something about myself recently that I knew was true. Those are always the hardest things to hear when it's not flattering, when it's not good. You don't want to hear flattering anyway. I was told something about myself recently that I knew was true and was painful to take because it's true and because of pride, I don't want to admit it. It hurt. But it came from someone I love and respect. And based on their character, I received it and I want to learn from it and benefit from it and grow from it and praise God for the honesty that I was privileged to receive. Now, those examples pale in comparison to God. How much more ought we to believe His Word? How much more are, ought we to believe His promises? based on his character my servant will be high and lifted up he will be exalted he said it literally 700 years before it even happened when he speaks we listen because he's good when he promises we believe because he is trustworthy he always comes through doesn't always come through the way we want him to but he always comes through in the way that is best he's always always sovereign he is always holy he's always good always kind always righteous always just always unchangeable always all-knowing always ever-present always all-powerful do you know it's interesting when jesus described himself he didn't use any of the words i just used to describe him Matthew 11. What did Jesus say about himself? He could have said a lot of things. He'd had since before eternity passed to come up with something. What did he say? I. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. And then here it is. For I am Gentle and lowly in heart. Humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you know that God incarnate is the only one who has ever tr been truly and purely humble? Most fully humble and gentle? He made humble and gentle. But how many times, and by the way, Jesus could be humble and gentle and come into Jerusalem on a donkey because he is the one who was high and lifted up. How many times has mankind tried to make Jesus something he's not? How many times has mankind tried to reinvent Jesus to make him more like us, to make him more easy to follow, to make him more politically correct, to make him, to make him 
less of what he really is so that, so that we don't have to face our sin. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either he was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him, his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, God is most glorified in us when he is seen as he truly is. God is most glorified in us when he is seen as he truly is. Which points to a third thing about Palm Sunday that I want to bring up. It's for the glory of God. Now, how many times have you heard that before? Don't get tired of hearing that because you'll hear it for eternity. Glory to God. Praise God. Look with me at Isaiah 52 and verse 13 again. The threefold explanation of the servant, exaltation of the servant, high and lifted up and exalted. That's followed by a huge contrast. Look at verse 14. Many were astonished at you. Why were they astonished? Well, his appearance was more messed up than any human being has ever been messed up. He was beaten to a pulp. They beat him beyond recognition. His, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. You couldn't even tell he was a man. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so, verse 15, shall he sprinkle many nations. The alternate reading in the Hebrew is he will startle many nations. This is all for the glory of God. That people will, will exalt him, but then they will be repulsed at him due to his suffering, which, which consumed his humanity. God will, will lift him up, but then he will be brought low, taking upon himself the sins of the world, and people will be repulsed at him. They will turn their faces away from him. People will find that due to his suffering, the servant has brought their greatest good. Their highest benefit came from his suffering, his passion. And many nations will be affected. The suffering has worldwide ramifications. They will see and understand. Isaiah 6.10 The deaf and the blind will, will believe. And it points to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Since the beginning of time, God had planned it, and it was almost about time. God is putting a thumbtack in history on Palm Sunday and saying it's almost time. Kids look forward to Christmas all year long. Kids, you're going, man, it's too far away. It's March. Summertime comes, you're like, it's still too far away. That was when I was a kid. November comes along, you're like, it's getting closer, but it's still too far away. Then December hits, and you're like, it's going to happen. It's coming. That's how I was when I was a kid. And then Christmas Eve shows up. Oh, you, 
beside yourself with excitement. You can't wait. Some of you don't wait. You just open up all your presents on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Not in my family. Uh, I got to open up my pajamas from my grandma on Christmas Eve. Woo-hoo. All right. Had to wait till Christmas morning. Palm Sunday was Christmas Eve. Palm Sunday is saying, is God saying salvation will happen and the wait is almost over? And this salvation he purposed, based upon who he is, would result in God being glorified. And the nations will be in awe because they have never before heard of a deliverer who would stoop to such a low place, a low position in order to save them, in order to deliver them. We're almost done. We're almost done. What's the response to Palm Sunday? What's the response? How did they respond back then, and how are we to respond? The first thing should come as no surprise, and it's this, praise to God. Praise to God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted on that first Palm Sunday, that only Palm Sunday. Psalm 118. Psalm 22, verse 27. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 95 and 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Psalm 96, 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The everlasting praise will be his. Let's see what his disciples did, shall we? Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 38. He was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. He was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying... Psalm 118 here. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 26. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They praised him. Now, if they didn't, something amazing would have happened as well. That was the rocks would have cried out in praise to God if they hadn't. Look what they did. What else would we do in the presence of God but be in awe of Him who has done such great things? Look with me at at, at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what we do because of what God did. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. That we would praise His glorious grace. We were made to worship God. We were made to praise Him. We were made to exalt Him. Eugene Peterson said this, Worship gives us a workable structure for life. Worship nurtures our need to be in relationship with God. Worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. See, worship reorient your life around what is really important worship filled jesus's ears that day because he is the one who is worthy of all worship and honor and praise another reaction that day to jesus on palm sunday was reliance on god they 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 cried out hosanna save us means save us now it's connected to psalm psalms 113 through 118 these psalms were sung in order all together during Passover season. It expresses the hope of Israel for a Messiah. It's linked with Hosanna, son of David. Obviously, it points to Jesus as being the promised one. 
the crowd is acknowledging Jesus as fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 and it was obvious they were treating him like a king throwing clothes in the path of a king to walk on was a symbol of submission to that king they were saying we rely upon you Jesus come save us Jesus we need you Jesus palms symbolized victory they were saying we need you that's what I need to say every day I need you Jesus God wants us to fully rely upon him now a friend of mine was on a bike ride yesterday and collapsed due to a tear in his aorta they rushed him to the hospital they gave him emergency surgery we were relying upon God for, for healing we were praying for him all afternoon I just got this update at 7 o'clock this morning following surgery last night the stitches gave way due to a rupture and Bob Render passed away I was obviously shocked but at the same time I was comforted because Bob knows Jesus and he's with him now faith is often accompanied by pain faith does not take away our pain faith carries us through the pain Faith is a gift from God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to say, thus says the Lord. Last thing. There was one more reaction to Jesus that day. And it wasn't good and it still happens many were misunderstanding God they were doing stronger things than that but in a general sense many misunderstood God that day many did in, in Matthew chapter 21 we read that the crowds were stirred up and some did not know who Jesus was and they asked who is this who is this Coming into town on a donkey. And some of the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Galilee. And they were probably throwing him under the bus with that. It was him. He's the one that, that started the ruckus. Don't look at us, it was it was his fault. Others cried out Hosanna, but in hopes that he would become a uh, he would bring political liberation to them, as former kings had done. In Luke chapter nineteen, verse thirty-nine, some Pharisees told Jesus to have his disciples shut up. Sorry, parents. Sorry, kids. I know you're not supposed to say that. I'm just telling you what they said. Um, but they told Jesus, they said, tell your disciples to stop. Tell them to stop praising you. Wow. <laughs> Talk about telling God what to do. It highlights man's universal inability and unwillingness to come to God. Some will receive him, some will reject him. But also that day there were some that undoubtedly understood but they said, this is he who came down out of heaven from God. This is he of whom the prophet said, my servant will act wisely and prosper. That he will sprinkle many nations. That his blood will cover the sins of many. This is your king who came riding into town on a donkey. This is God come down to save us from sin. See, God reveals his truth to those who will receive it. Those who know Jesus they know who he is and believe it to the point of staking their life upon him. Rightly see Jesus as the one who came to break down the dividing barrier of sin that separates us from God. Well, how about you today? Palm Sunday is God-centered and where are you at with God? Are you praising him for who he is and what he has done? Are you relying upon him? 
Are you clinging to him, trusting in him? Or are, are you misunderstanding him, not, not getting it about Jesus, thinking that he exists to make you happy, thinking that he owes you in some way, or that he's unfair, or that he's always trying to punish you for something? Where are you at with him? If your reaction to God in life is praise and reliance, you will experience the peace spoken of at Christ's birth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those in which he is pleased. Those of us who believe know we can do nothing without Jesus. Nothing. See, when we're celebrating Palm Sunday, it's a great event we're celebrating. It's great. It was a preview of one coming attraction. The cross. The cross. See, as as we see Jesus riding into town on a donkey, allowing the people to praise him as the king, there are many things we learn. But there is this one aspect as it deals with Passover that, that, that must be pointed out. Passover was only four days away, which made the day of the triumphal entry the 10th of the month. And you see the significance, and we'll close with this, but we'll see the significance in Exodus chapter 12, in the instructions on the Passover. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. They didn't realize it, but on Palm Sunday, when they were crying out, Hosanna in the highest, they were choosing the Passover lamb. They were selecting the Passover lamb for sacrifice, the one that God had marked out, the one and only sacrifice that can take away sin and cause death to pass over us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you've opened our eyes to truth in so many ways and we trust that you have done it again today. We thank you, Lord, for Palm Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for a day that, that points up your purposes and, and reflects so well your character and is all for your glory. Lord, we want to live for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.